We read the Holy Scriptures together tonight in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son... Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, Then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed." Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of bread of meat sold his birthright, For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape, If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, 
signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The text that we consider together tonight is the first two verses of the chapter. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this latter part of the epistle to the Hebrews, we find some of the most wonderful and edifying passages in Scripture on the subject of faith. At the end of chapter 10, the Apostle makes reference to the promise of the Gospel as it appears in Habakkuk, where the prophet of old says that the just shall live by faith. And the Apostle points out that we who do not draw back from Christ are among those who believe unto the saving of the soul. And by that, the Apostle leads into chapter 11, which begins with the well-known definition of faith, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is, faith is a certain confidence of the soul and a certain conviction of the heart concerning the promises of God to us in Christ things that are not yet seen, things that we do not yet possess, that we will possess them, and that we will see them, and that we will receive them from God. That's faith. And then the Apostle goes on to give an inspiring catalog of the heroes of faith from the Old Testament. And he lists some of the great men and women that we know so well who lived obeyed, suffered, and died by faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and having been persuaded of them and having embraced them and having confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers in the earth. And so they lived and died by faith. And then in chapter 12, the apostle brings this exhortation to us. It's the exhortation of faith. It's the exhortation that we, like that great cloud of witnesses, would run with patience the race of faith that is set before us. That we would lay aside every weight and the sins that easily beset us. That we would look by faith unto Jesus, who is the very author and finisher of that faith. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and who is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. I call your attention to the text under the theme, Running the Race Set Before Us. Notice, first of all, running with endurance. In the second place, looking unto Jesus. And finally, surrounded by witnesses. Whereas other scriptures compare the Christian life, for example, to the journey of a pilgrim through this world, which is like a wilderness, full of dangers, troubles, and trials on his way to the heavenly city, or to the voyage of a sailor through the stormy seas of this world on his way to the shores of eternity, or to a soldier who is fighting the spiritual battles of faith against 
the forces of darkness with a view to the victory. In this text, the Apostle compares the Christian life to an athletic contest that requires great stamina, great endurance, resilience, strength. He compares the Christian life to the running of a race. He says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Greek word for race in the text originally referred to the stadiums that could be found throughout the Greek and Roman Empire of those days. There were stadiums throughout the empire in many of the cities. In those stadiums, athletic contests took place of various kinds. And in that stadium, there were many places for spectators to sit. And on the inside, there was a field. And around that field, there was a track for races. So the word came to refer to the race that would take place, including foot races, inside the stadiums, which were observed by many cheering spectators. The Apostle says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The Apostle teaches us that in this race, we are the runners. We who have been baptized into Christ. We who profess faith in Christ. And we who are in the midst of the world at this present time are not the spectators sitting in the stands watching. But we are the athletes down on the field, on the racetrack, running. We are presently running in the race. We have been chosen by God to run this race. And God has set us on the racetrack and He has set us forth on this race so that we are presently running it. We have not yet finished it, but we are running it toward the finish line. The race that we are running represents the whole course of life that God calls us to live. The race is the Christian life. The Christian life is like a race. We have to run. There is required strength and stamina and resilience to run this race. And the race represents the whole course of the Christian life from beginning to end. From the moment that God regenerates us dead sinners and converts us to Christ and through the preaching of the Gospel awakens in us a conscious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ all the way to that time when we depart from this life and are glorified in heaven. That's the race that is set before us. And this race includes every phase of our life and every aspect of our life and all of the many duties and responsibilities that God lays upon us in the Christian life. That's the race. There are many different stages of this, of this race. There is the race of childhood in which God calls us to honor our father and our mother. There is the race of adolescence and the race of being a young person and a young adult. There's the race of single life. The race of married life. There's the race that we run when we are married but we don't yet have children. And the race that we run when we are married and God gives us children. There's the race of old age. The race of that period of life after we have retired from our life's calling. And in all of these stages of life, there are various duties and callings that God lays upon us. That's the race. In single life, we are called to be faithful and chaste and to devote ourselves to God and to serve others in the church. In married life, we're called to love our wives as husbands and to love and submit to our husbands as wives and to raise the children God has given to us in the fear of the Lord. And so many other responsibilities. The race that we are called to run involves obstacles. There are great stones and rocks on the racetrack that have to be hurdled or run around. 
And then there are adversaries as we're running the race. There are enemies who attack us coming from this side and from that side of the racetrack, trying to push us off the track to the left or push us off to the right or trying to make us trip and stumble to the ground. And this is a race that we are called to run at all times. There is no vacation. There is no break from running the race. We run this race rain or shine. When it comes to track and field in the high school or in the college, if there is a thunderstorm, if there is inclement weather, probably they will call off the race. But not so in the Christian life. The race we are called to run is rain or shine. There are times when the race is very pleasant, when life is very good, very enjoyable, and there are other times when the rain showers of trials pour down upon us, when the thunder cracks and the lightning strikes, and the race is always on. The Apostle says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In the running of this race, the Apostle exhorts us to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. In the running of earthly races, an athlete would never think of coming to the racetrack with heavy weights hanging around his shoulders, around his neck. Because he would know that those weights are going to slow him down as he's running. And they're going to hinder him from reaching the finish line. A runner would also never come to a race wearing a long, heavy, cumbersome robe that goes all the way down to his feet because he would know about that. I'm going to trip if I try to run with such clothing on. And yet... We come to the starting point of this race of the Christian life in precisely that manner. It's true that we have been justified in Christ. And we have been regenerated by the Spirit of Christ. And yet, we still live in a fallen world. And we still have a wicked flesh. We're not running this race as Adam and Eve ran it in the beginning in the Garden of Eden in a perfect world, free from sin, free from death, free from trials and afflictions and troubles and storms. But we're running this race in the fallen world, sinful world, the cursed world. We're running the race in a world which is fraught with all kinds of dangers, all kinds of trials and temptations and troubles. And we're running in this race as those who still have cleaving to us an old, wicked, sinful nature, which is one of those three enemies that cease not to assault us, that cease not to hinder us in the running of this race. And so the Apostle exhorts, and this exhortation comes to us as long as we're running, as long as we're living, as long as we're in this world, he says to you and to me today, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. He says, first of all, let us lay aside every weight. And by that, the Apostle is distinguishing this from the sin which doth so easily beset us. They're two different things, closely related. Let us lay aside, first of all, every weight. The weights that he's referring to are things that are not necessarily wrong in themselves. They're not necessarily evil in and of themselves. But they can become weights. They can become things that weigh us down, that hinder us, that prevent us from progressing in the running of the race. The weights that he's referring to are, for example, the treasures and the riches that God might give to us. We still live in prosperous times. We still have great wealth, many of us. We work hard at our jobs. We build businesses from the ground up and we reap what we sow. We receive the fruit of our labors. 
The Lord fills our bank accounts with riches. We're able to purchase great homes and wonderful possessions and toys. And we're rich. And there's nothing wrong with all those things. There's nothing evil about money. And yet, the possession of great treasures can become a weight that slows us down in the running of the race when it becomes something that becomes a greater treasure to us than God. When it becomes our God. When it becomes the thing that is the most important thing to us. So it distracts us from nurturing our marriage and our family life. We're constantly striving to have money and make more money and enjoy our money. That's a weight. That money then becomes a weight. Nothing wrong with it, but it's a weight. The pleasures of life, the entertainments, the hobbies that we enjoy. There are the pleasures of eating and drinking. There's the pleasure of watching television and listening to music. There are the summertime leisure activities that we enjoy to do, perhaps going out to the lake and going fishing or pulling out our boat to Lake Michigan, enjoying some social time on the weekend, drinking a few beers on the boat and enjoying some good food. Nothing wrong with those things. But those things can become weights that are slowing us down in the running of the race when that's what we live for. That's what we're always thinking about. That's what we're obsessed with. That's our passion in life, is getting the most out of life, enjoying the pleasures of life. And we actually find more pleasure in those things than in God. We find more pleasure in riding our bicycle and, or in going for a round of golf or in going shopping at the mall and buying something new and all the other perfectly legitimate things. But they can become weights. There are the cares and concerns of life. We want to take care of our bodies. So we rationalize in our minds that all we're doing is taking care of our bodies. We have to be good stewards of our bodies. We have to take care of our health. But that can become a weight when all we're thinking about is the potential sicknesses we have or the way we can avoid those sicknesses or the way we can be healthy and strong or healthier and stronger so that our life is consumed with our health, our body, our appearance. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a calling, but it becomes a weight when it distracts us from our more important callings, when it hinders us and slows us down. We're concerns about our finances so that we're constantly thinking about the changes in the economy and society and how we're going to lose our money and what are we going to do in this situation or that situation so that the cares and the perplexities of life in this fallen world consume us. And that becomes a weight. A debilitating weight. Anything that slows us down, that hinders us or prevents us from living out the callings that God gives to us are weights. Even the aspirations we might have, the hopes and dreams we might nurture in our hearts as young people for the future. The desire to be married. The desire to have children. The desire to have our dream job or our dream education. Nothing wrong with those things. But the Lord might say, no, And when we continue to aspire and to be consumed with our desire for that thing, it becomes a weight. And the Apostle says in the text, lay it aside. We have to run this race. We have a race before us. Let us lay aside every weight so that we can run more faithfully, more efficiently, so that we can run better and faster and make progress in the race that is before us. In the second place, the Apostle exhorts us to lay aside the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now he's talking very specifically about sin. What is the sin that besets you? The sin that besets 
you and me, is the sin which easily entangles you. It easily ensnares you. It's a sin that is constantly tripping you up so that you're constantly falling into it. That's what we call a besetting sin. That term besetting sin comes from our text. A besetting sin is a sin that ensnares and tangles you so that it becomes a deeply ingrained habit of your life. I heard it described once. You can think of a a four-wheeler driving down a track out in the field. And if it only drives down one isolated place of the field one time, there's hardly any track left. But if that vehicle drives down the same track again and again and again, a hundred times, a thousand times, you're going to see a a two-track. That's a besetting sin. It's the kind that we do over and over and over and over again so that it becomes a deeply ingrained habit. There's the sin of pride. We can become so accustomed to thinking highly of ourselves, to esteeming ourselves better than others, to boasting and bragging to others about our achievements, about our wealth, about our spirituality, even about our humility, that we can hardly recognize that we are proud. There's the sin of fear. That again and again and again we're thinking about things that could harm us, things that could kill us, this sickness or that disease, or this possible disaster or that calamity. So that we're living in fear when we should be living by faith. There's the pattern of anger that whenever somebody does something that stands in our way, that irritates us, we blow up in anger toward them. There's the besetting sin of gossip that we do almost on a daily basis so often that we almost don't even recognize it as gossip anymore. Whenever we're talking about other people negatively, critically, in order to boost our own sense of self-worth. And then, of course, there are the besetting sins by which we feed the lusts of the flesh through sexual pleasures, through eating, through drinking, through any kind of addiction to any kind of drug, legal or illegal. Those are all besetting sins. Entangling, ensnaring sins that are like a noose around our feet pulling us under the water. And that that noose has to be cut. And so the Apostle says, let us run the race laying aside the sins that easily beset us. Laying aside the weights, anything that is a weight, and the sins which are pulling you down in the race. I think of what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. He was rich. What must I do to be saved? Jesus says, you know the commandments? Yes, but I've done all those things. Oh, but there's one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And come follow me. What? I have to sell all of my riches, but there's nothing wrong with riches. No. And Jesus doesn't say that necessarily to everybody in exactly the same way. But if riches is a weight, then Jesus says it to you and me. Let us run with patience the race. With patience. Any of you who have done track and field know how much endurance is required in running a race. Running is all about endurance. And so you have to run, you have to exercise, you have to train. You can't just go out one day and start running that race. You have to exercise and train. And it's hard work. 
The Lord calls us to run with patience. That word patience there means endurance, perseverance, resilience. It means don't give up in running this race. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't give up when after fighting against that besetting sin day after day and year after year, you still feel like you've made no progress. Don't give up. Keep running the race. Even when the rain starts pouring. Even when the the thunder cracks and the lightning strikes and the trials and adversities of life seem to fill your life. Don't stop running. Keep running the race. Even when the obstacles in front of you seem too great to hurdle and you feel so exhausted from running, you don't feel that you have anything left in you to keep running and the obstacle looks too great Don't stop running. Keep running. Run with patience. Run with perseverance. The race that is set before you. The Apostle says in Philippians 3, verse 14, let us press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us press toward the mark. The finish line. As you can see, the running of the race of the Christian life is an arduous task that God sets before us, and therefore it requires tremendous strength and energy. And where is that going to come from? The Apostle says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us not run the race that is set before us looking to ourselves. Let us not look to ourselves. Let us not look in here to see if we can find within ourselves the Strength, the energy, the reserves to be able to keep running the race all the way to the finish line. It's not there. We don't have the spiritual willpower, the spiritual determination that is required to keep running the race. We don't have it. Let us not run the race by faith in ourselves. That's the message of the world. The world also talks about running a race. The world also talks about perseverance in your life. When you have storms in your life, you've got to keep running, you've got to push through it. But what the world says is, believe in yourself. You can do it. That's a lie. You can't. We can't do it. We can't run this race. We don't have the strength. We don't have the will. We would fall down flat on our face in an instant if left to ourselves. Let us not trust and believe in ourselves for the running of the race as if salvation depends on us. As if the finish line, crossing the finish line, entering into glory, receiving the crown depends upon us and our running. That's a weight. There are people who try to run this race by trusting in themselves, by trusting in their own strength, their own abilities, their own works. And that's a weight that really they have to lay aside. If you have that in your heart and your soul, the idea that I can do this, I have what it takes, I can push through this, I, 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 then lay aside that weight because it's a weight. And it's going to pull you down into hell. It's going to destroy you if you believe in yourself. Let us run the race with patience, looking onto Jesus. Not looking at all of the troubles of this race. Remember Peter in the boat, sailing across the sea, and the great storm came upon the sea 
And Jesus saw them from afar off and walked on the water to them. And they saw Him walking on the water. And Peter said, Lord, if it's really You, then bid me come out onto the water as well. And Jesus said, come. And He began to walk on the water. And how did He do that? How did He walk on the water? With His eyes fixed on Jesus. As long as His eyes were fixed on Jesus, He walked on the water. He did something that was impossible. But as soon as He looked away from Jesus and saw the waves, and He felt the wind, and He saw the dark, deep sea, He began to sink. Let us run the race that is set before us looking onto Jesus. That is, believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, embracing Jesus, and laying hold upon Him by faith. That's faith. We trust not in ourselves. We trust in Jesus. And the Apostle shows us why we can trust in Jesus in the running of this race. Because He is the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus came into the world, He ran the race that was set before Him. God set a race before Jesus. And the race that God set before Jesus was the race that we couldn't run. The race that God set before Jesus was the race of perfectly obeying all of God's commandments from the heart all of His life. And Jesus ran that race for the joy set before Him. God set before Jesus this joy. And the joy is the glory that God would give to Him upon the completion of the race. That joy was always set before Jesus as He was running. So Jesus is looking to the joy. He's anticipating the joy of His resurrection and ascension and glorification in heaven. And fastening His eyes on that joy, He ran the race that was set before Him. He ran. He laid aside the weights. Every weight, He perfectly laid it aside. Riches, pleasures, cares, anxieties. He laid all those things aside. And there were no sins for him to lay aside because he resisted every temptation of the devil. Every temptation that was hurtled at him. Every obstacle in his way. He leaped over it. He avoided it. He ran the race, looking at the joy, pursuing it all the way to the end. For you. And for me. And as Jesus ran the race that God set before Him, He endured the cross. The race that Jesus was running led to and ended in the cross. The race that He was running didn't end in a glorious, beautiful kingdom here on earth. But it ended in the cross. The cross. He endured the cross. He was running the race. And as He was running the race, He had to run it to the cross, upon the cross, and through the cross. That was the only way. So He went to the cross. He gave Himself to the tormentors. He laid down Himself on the cross. Gave Himself to be nailed to the cross. And lifted up before men. He suffered on the cross. The shedding of His blood But what He endured on the cross was not just the pain of the nails and not just the suffering of the shedding of His blood, but He endured the curse of God. He endured the rain showers of God's wrath and God's indignation against our sin. The wrath of the curse that pursues the sinner into hell. That's what He endured. That's what He bore. The wrath and the curse that we deserve. Every time we sin, we make ourselves worthy of that curse of the cross. But He endured it. He endured the cross and the curse of the cross. 
into the deepest reproach and pains of hell for us. And as He was enduring the cross, He despised the shame. Oh, the shame that was heaped upon Him. The shame of the Sanhedrin bringing false accusations. The shame when they spit in His face and buffeted Him and blindfolded Him and mocked Him when they led Him to the praetorium of Pontius Pilate and pressed a crown of thorns on His head and beat Him with a scepter and led Him to the cross to be reviled, to be jeered at and mocked. But the worst of the shame was not what men heaped upon Him. It was the utter humiliation that He experienced for our shameful sins. But all of that shame, He despised. You know what that means? That He despised that shame? It means as that shame was being heaped upon Him, He thought little of it. As that shame was being being directed into His heart, He said, I don't care about that. That's not going to slow me down. That will not bring me down from this cross. I will never go down from this cross. I will never stop running this race. Nothing can stop me from running this race all the way to the end. That's what it means. He despised the shame. It means He would not allow anything to stop Him from finishing our salvation. And when He burst through the finish line, springing out of the grave and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, He received the joy that was set before Him. Radiant glory and an everlasting crown. And now the Apostle says, let us run the race that is set before us looking to Him. Now looking here. Looking to Jesus. Where is Jesus? You can't find Him in the earth. Where is He? How do I look to Him? How do I fix my eyes on Him? Jesus is at the finish line. Jesus is not back there somewhere. Jesus is not to the right. He's not to the left. You don't look at your feet to look for Jesus. You look straight ahead when you're running the race. And that's where Jesus is. You fix your eyes on Jesus. There, just beyond the finish line. There, in glory in heaven. There is Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God, saying to us runners, Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. Run to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't you ever think that you have to run this race in order to merit your salvation, in order to merit this crown of glory. I merited it for you. I have it right here for you. There's nothing you can do to merit and to earn it. I have it for you. Run to me. Run to me by faith. And receive your crown. And so you see, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. We don't run this race. We didn't choose to run this race of our own free will. And we don't run this race by our own strength and through our own merits. It is not of us. It is of Him. Not of us who are running, but of Him who shows mercy that we run. Why do we run? What is it that drives us to run? To merit? Never. What drives us to run? Isn't this what drives you to run? The joy of your salvation the hope of glory, the free blessings that are in Christ, doesn't that move you to say these sins that entangle me, I hate them. 
And I'm going to lay them aside and be done with them. These weights, they're weights. They're, they're weighing me down. Let me be done with them. I need to run the race. I need to run to Jesus, my Savior. It's all gratitude and joy and hope. That's what drives us to run the race. And finally, the Lord gives us this great encouragement as well. Seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Remember the figure of the stadium? We're in that stadium. And all around us is a great cloud of witnesses. A cloud is a dense gathering of water vapor molecules. Dense, very dense gathering together of molecules of water in the sky. It's a cloud. And a cloud is a figure of speech for a crowd, a dense gathering of people. The apostle is referring to those spectators sitting in the stands. And I said, that's not you. That's not me. Not yet. Those witnesses surrounding us are the saints who have gone before us. He's referring to the saints listed in the previous chapter. He's referring to those heroes of faith. Those are the witnesses. They're standing in the, che- in the stands. They've already run their race. They've already finished their race. And now they're sitting in the stands. They're not our rivals on the racetrack. They're our teammates. And they've already finished the race. And they're, they're now watching us and cheering for us and encouraging us to keep running. There's Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses and David. And what shall we more say? For the time would fail us to speak of Gideon and Barak and Samuel and the prophets and all the others who walked by faith and died in faith. They're witnesses. The Greek word for witness is martyr. And many of these saints were literal martyrs. They were sawn asunder. They were burned at the stake for their faith. And then they crossed the finish line. And now they're cheering for us. Run, they say. Run. Run the race set before you just as we did. They're witnesses. That is... They personally witnessed the wonderful works of God in their lives and in their time, and now they witness to us to run the race. They speak to us from the pages of Holy Scripture. You can think of that when you're reading the Old Testament, when you're reading about Abel, who's bringing a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, who's bringing the firstling of his flock the precious little lamb slitting its throat so that it bleeds and laying it on the altar and burning it up. Abel says to you and to me today, run the race set before you, not looking at yourself like my brother Cain did, but looking to the lamb who was slain by faith in him. And there's Enoch who walked with God in times of tribulation and he was not, for God took him. And Enoch says to us, have no fear, brothers and sisters. Walk with God by faith. And you too will be taken out of this valley of tears and you will join me in glory. And someday you will receive a glorified body as well. And then there's Noah who by faith built the ark. And Noah cheers to us who live in the last days. Noah, who by faith prepared an ark, being warned of things not seen as yet, to the saving of his house. He says to us, run the race, prepare your ark. Prepare yourself spiritually because you will see things, you might see things that you've never seen before. 
You live in the last days when the great catastrophe is yet to come. Prepare the ark by faith. Get ready. Abraham, by faith, was called to go out into a place that he would afterward receive as an inheritance. He says to you, be willing to go when God calls. Wherever God calls you, He might call you to go to a faraway place to leave your kindred behind. But when God calls, you go. And you go by faith. Run the race. And then the Apostle Paul, after he finished running his race, he wrote 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 through 8. This is what you want to be able to testify at the end of your life. This is what every child of God, by the grace of God, can testify at the end of his life. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all cheering for us. We're going, looking unto Jesus, hearing their encouragements through the Scriptures. Let us run with patience the race set before us. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven. We pray that Thou would apply Thy Word to each of us in our own unique circumstances of the race we are running, whether prosperity or adversity, sickness or health, single life, married life, young or old. Give us strength, the strength of faith in Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that looking to him, we might find the strength that we need. In his name we pray, amen.